Well, happy Friday, church family. We're finally reached the end of chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments here. Um, if you remember, throughout these last few weeks, we talked about how there's this horizontal relationship as well as this vertical relationship. In the, fr- in the first four commandments, they're vertical relationship to the Lord, whereas the last six commandments are horizontal relationship to one another. Um, the first being... Well, the first of the horizontal relationships is that there's the parents' right to be respected or honor. And that um, God tells them that honor your father and mother, your days may be prolonged in, in the land which the Lord your God gives you. That is a, the first command with a promise that when you obey your parents, you live long and um, you live longer. Uh, this is just a truism. This doesn't mean that like every obedient child lives to be a lot older. We understand that young people die as well but there's just a general principle that when you obey your parents when you honor them uh, your life will will be prolonged because there's wisdom in what they have to say and there's it's for the child's protection and that's why they live longer because of it the sixth commandment is that is a neighbor's right to life that they're called <coughs> excuse me that they're told not to commit murder they're to protect life they're not to uh, take one another's life as, and as murder, not kill. Kill could be towards animals, but murders are toward individuals. And I, and I even made this reference about how the New Testament continues that idea when it comes to anger, that you can be sinfully angry at someone, and that's considered murder in your own heart. Um, seventh commandment, that neighbors have a right to a faithful marriage, that um, that uh, adultery, that you should not commit adultery, that's not, it's both for those in the covenant marriage, meaning that they're supposed to remain pure and honor the Lord in their marriage, and as well as those people outside of that, you know, and they're supposed to respect it. So they can't be like husband and another, uh, you know, husband desiring some other person's wife or a single person desiring uh, another person's spouse. So that whether you're in the marriage or not, you're supposed to honor it. You're supposed to have a high view of it. Um, and we know that in the New Testament, that even with lust, that means that in the marriage units, you don't have to even leave your spouse to commit adultery. It's all what's going on in your own hearts. And God commands his people to not lust after those that are not there. It's basically, you can't lust after someone that's not yours. And if you're not married to that person, then you can't think about them in that way. The eighth command being that a neighbor's right to ownership, that you should not steal, that God has given people stewardship over some sort of material thing and to take something from them is uh, is basically not wanting to work you're you're defying what god um wants expects mankind to do and that's to work and to work the land and they have and they will get things because of it whether it's food or clothing whatever it may be the reason why those people have those things because they worked for it and to steal is to is to go against that and we know in the New Testament that in Ephesians it says that whoever steals, they should stop stealing and uh, and not just stop there. And that's just that's just the putting off thing. But putting on means that they work hard and they give and they share with other people. Uh, that's the response. And now we'll look at the last two and then we also will finish up the rest of the chapter. But the ninth commandment is the, is the neighbor's right to right reputation. Um, this is uh, the ninth commandment is that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And this is important because during a time... I mean, now and then too, but more so than than now. Nowadays, we have like technology and you know phones and camera phones and <coughs> you know street cameras, everything that can have recordings of, of what's going on. And even those things, as much as uh, as as accurate as they seem, they're not always 100% perfect. 
But in, the, in those days, people will sometimes make a false claim about someone. They would lie and they would accuse someone of things that are not true. And, and that offends the Lord. That's, these are things that, uh, you know, that, that's offensive to the Lord because you're slandering them. And oftentimes those slander have, have a huge consequence. Uh, you say something about them, that's not true. Especially in the sense of like, this is more of like a legal term. Don't bear false witness. Don't say something, accuse someone. Uh, if it's not true, because there are consequences that you can't take back. And we understand this is even in the concept of New Testament, it's slandering. In Colossians 3, verse 8 tells us, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as the God in Christ also has forgiven you. And if that's the case, then there shouldn't be any. Um, you know, we're, if we're called to be new creatures in Christ, that we're not supposed to uh, defame one another um, because of. And usually, the people that are uh, people that usually defame another person's reputation, it's it's always. Either like there's some gain to get from it that they they're, they're getting something out of it. Whether it's like some corrupted person saying, "Hey, <coughs> if you say this about someone, I'll give you a cut of the, <coughs> of the of the money that we'll get from this," you know. And God is, is offended by that. He he's a just God. And when people pervert justice, how they do it is that they slander or they give a um, they bear false witness against their own neighbor. And the last commandment is that the right, uh, neighbor's right to possession. And there's a list here. You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that, anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this is all of the things. This is almost like a, a general category. And But this is also the only one of the Ten Commandments where it's impossible to regulate. If someone bears a false witness against someone, you can trace it back. You can fact check things. You can find out whether or not a person is lying about the, you know, about someone when there's, you know, when there's like some sort of court case or some sort of situation to deal with. You can kind of figure out all those little details if you work a little harder on it. This last commandment is is strictly in the heart. You're not unable. You can't really discern that. How do you know if someone's coveting after your things? I'm sure there may be some actions or, but you can't read their thoughts. You don't know what their heart life here. So this is actually a command specifically showing that God actually knows what's going on in your heart. All these other external things you can fake, but the internal one you can't. God knows what's going on in your heart. If you desire, you covet the neighbor's house or their their wife or their, all of their possession, those in their household, everything, it shows you that God that the it, God knows about this. And that's what's actually what's horrifying. Um, that when you covet other people's things, you're saying you want uh, other things for yourself um, and you have to remember that this Old Testament here uh, it's supposed to teach you something about the Lord when you see these commandments it's supposed to show you the reverence uh, like how holy God is how distinctive and how powerful he is and as he goes through these and you know as they're going through the Ten Commandments the response of the Israelites is that there's fear in, the, in worship and we see the fear part verse 18 to 21 all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of trumpet and mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So they were fearful. They, they, they heard this and then they saw. And, you know, again, this is a very loud, booming voice. It seems like every time when God's speaking to them, it's, 
it's not like a giant mumble like they know exactly what he's saying it's crystal clear and it's very loud and it causes them uh, to fear and then stand away verse 19 then they said to moses speak to us yourself and we will listen but let god not let not god speak to us or we will die now of course what's interesting is that eventually they'll stop listening to moses because they uh, don't want to hear God's voice altogether. But at this very moment, when they, when they when looking up at this mountain, they see all this, they're horrified. Verse twenty, Moses said to the people, "Do not be afraid, for God has sent, God has come in order to test you, and in order that you, that the fear of Him may remain with you, so that you may not sin." And this is the reality that sometimes the fear of the Lord is what leads someone to repentance. It's it's that understand that they that God if he decides to do what he wants uh, in light of who you are as a sinner, that God can destroy you. But yet God is using it to show you that, like, yeah, God is that. It is a terrifying thing to be uh, to be under hands of a, of, a, of a consuming God. And this is a warning for those who try to take sin lightly. It is those that are apathetic towards sin and things that are offensive to the Lord that need to be worried. And then God is giving the commandment so that they can see how wicked they are and, and how deserving they are of God's wrath. Verse 21, so the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Verse 22, then Yahweh said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, you yourself have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall make other gods besides me, gods of silver, of gold, of God, or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourself you shall make an altar of earth for me and you shall sacrifice it on it on it your burnt offering and your peace offering your sheep and your oxen in every place where i cause my name to be remembered i will come to you and bless you so there there's this um, way in which god tells them that they need to worship him like you cannot make these idols uh, it's almost like a summation at this point where he's telling them like don't make any physical idols of gold and silver because you know just like the command before this is always going to be an uh, imperfect representation of who god is and god demands uh, a rightful uh, representation of him and no one can do it uh, so there's no point um, in in god making it Verse 25, if you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it or cut stones for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. What's interesting is like first he tells them to make an altar, but now he tells them don't make an altar. Well, well, why is that? Well, the, this altar here in the verse, I mean, they've been offering sacrifices before, but it's very interesting that in verse 25 is like, well, if you choose to make a certain altar, you cannot build it of cut stones uh, and you shall wield tool on it. So they're basically, God's really making this prohibition that when you think, when you make an altar, don't you, you're gonna make it according to your own design. God will eventually give them instruction on what kind of altar that they need to make, but they are at this point um, instructed not to make an altar that of a particular stone. They're not supposed to uh, make a stone, an altar out of their own creation, out of their own mind, but rather God's gonna tell them exactly how he wants to be worshiped. And God demands to be worshiped in a specific, in a very specific way. Verse 26. And you shall not go up the steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Now this sounds really weird. Like, why is this commandment here? And it comes down to the to creation. Um, this is an issue <laughs> because remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized that they're naked and they're supposed to you know, cover themselves. There are certain parts that they're, uh, they don't want, you're not supposed to let other people see. 
And God's command for them is that they are not allowed to make steps, like steps up to this altar, um, mainly because, you know, back then they didn't have, you know, they don't wear like undergarments the way that we do. And often they will wear like, you know, raw, like almost like robes for us, you know, or, uh, or like kind of like, not really skirts, but you know, like, you know, it's like toga type things. And uh, out of the fear of exposing themselves when they're walking up this altar in case like a wind blows by, God tells them, don't do that. Don't do it so that your nakedness will not be exposed. So how this altar is supposed to look like is just basically almost like a, if you think of like a modern grill, like a modern day barbecue grill where you just kind of walk towards it. There's no steps. You just kind of walk directly to it. That's how it's supposed to look like. And there's will offer uh, their sacrifices there in that way. There's no steps so that there's no opportunity for their nakedness to ex- be exposed. And they're supposed to go to it. Um, they'll go to the altar just kind of directly and, and, and give it to the Lord. And it's very, very specific. Now, the New Testament in Galatians speaks about how the law, and this is you know, the Ten Commandments, and more than that, the Ten Commandments actually just, it's just a summation of all the little details, and we'll see that next week when we look at all of the different uh, commandments, even Leviticus as a whole. It's supposed to be explanations on how, how uh, what God expects of you, like God's expectation for sinful man is all of these different things. In the New Testament, it speaks about how the law is supposed to be a tutor. It's just supposed to show you how wicked you are, and that you cannot keep it. The point of this is to show you that you cannot keep the law. And again, I think when we think about the Old Testament law, there's a tendency to assume that, wow, there, there's so many laws, I feel so bad for them. But in reality, this is actually an act of God's grace. It's an act of God's grace because God tells you exactly what you need to do in order to be holy before him. Theoretically, if you're able to not sin at all and actually perf- do all the 600-something commandments of the Old Testament perfectly, you can actually go to heaven if you can do everything right. If you believe in him and you perfectly abide by every single letter of the law, you can actually get to go to heaven because you didn't break anything. But if you fail even at one point, you deserve to go to hell. And the law is a tutor in that way. It's supposed to show you what you're lacking so that <coughs> when when you see the, the, uh, the, when you meet Jesus, you understand that this is how this is actually the life that he lived. All those 600 commandments, he lived it perfectly. There was no blemishes on him. And he lived his perfect life. He did not commit murder. He did not commit adultery. He did not steal. He did not bear false witness. In fact, it happened to him, right? Like, well, except for adultery. But, you know, people killed him. People uh, stole from him in the sense of, like, you know, they gave, Jesus gave things away. And then they took it from him. And, and even um, you know, bearing false witness, a whole bunch of people said things about that were not true. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly by people of the law, people that claim to be followers of the Ten Commandments or the Old Testament law. They actually fail to do what God expects of them. But Jesus is the only one that's able to perfectly fulfill these laws and ultimately became the sacrifice for our sins. So I hope that in the next coming in the, com- in the coming weeks, we're going to get to all these details about all these weird laws. And it's supposed and it's designed with the intent for you to appreciate Jesus. So I'm going to go through some of these, and it's weird. Okay, it's weird in our context, and I'll try to explain a little bit more what 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 some of these mean in in their context, so that you understand why our salvation is called grace. That even things like oh baptismal regeneration, how offensive that is to God, because those things are just one thing that you do they can do, but they fail to live to everything else. Um, that works is not what saves us; it's only by faith through Him and Jesus Christ who lived these perfect laws for us so that we can have salvation in him look forward to the next several weeks as we go through some of these laws and uh
yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a doozy, and it's gonna be interesting. And again, it's gonna I hope it's like gonna make it's gonna make you a better lover of God's word and a pre and better and have a greater appreciation for Jesus for what He's done on our behalf on the cross. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.